0: It's wonderful when God's people gather together for worship, and so we're glad that you're here uh, this morning. We're continuing our study in the book of John. Uh, before we get started there, though, I just thought I would share with you some uh, amazing stories coming out of Ukraine, as well as uh, some of the surrounding uh, nations, especially Poland. Uh, this morning, I was reading <clears throat> several stories about uh, a great number of people who are coming to faith in Christ, which is which is amazing. Um, Shouldn't surprise us, but nonetheless, um, when you think about what they're enduring, what they're facing, God uses suffering. He uses tragedy. He uses persecution even uh, to get our attention and to get us on our knees before God. And so many people are seeking the Lord and praise God. The Church of Jesus Christ is responding to that um, by uh, having a willingness to share the gospel, uh, to put Bibles in people's hands, to provide um, care and support for those who are hurting. And so um, who knows what God is going to do as a result of this, but we need to continue uh, to pray uh, for for the people of Ukraine, for the church there to remain strong, and uh, for us to do our part to pray and to give as we can um, to help those folks that, um, that really need our help. So when I think about what's happening there, <clears throat> uh, I think especially as you see the, the images on on TV um, and you see um, young people, old people, children. Um, I just uh, received word there, I guess there was a New York Times uh, journalist who was killed uh, today, um, and it, it's, 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 it's a tragedy, but, but put yourself there in, in the moment, whether you're a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, son, or a daughter, um, to see loved ones suffer. I mean, there isn't really anything you wouldn't do for them um you know many uh many you know dads and and husbands have helped their their families uh, escape i think there's something like 2.5 million refugees right now and that number continues to grow and um and i was thinking as we were heading into the the rest of john chapter 4 and the story that's before us this morning to think uh for ourselves that you know whether you're a parent now or hope to be a parent someday you know What would you do if your son or daughter was gravely ill and on death's door? Um, How far would you travel uh, to find a doctor, to uh, find a hospital that could treat uh, your child? Um, How desperate would you be to see them well? And I I I think we would all say we, we would do everything we can um, to 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 get well to to see that I, I just spoke to a good friend of mine yesterday on the phone um, who I plan on seeing in in May down in Texas and uh, he's he's really been struggling um, he uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's um, and then um, they found a huge uh, cancerous lump on his liver um, and then uh, six days after surgery for that he came down with COVID. <laughs> So he's been hit with a lot. He traveled from Texas to Minnesota to go to the Mayo Clinic uh, again um, because you know you, you're going to do everything you can uh, for not only your own health but for the the sake of those that you love and and that's really the case here in John chapter four because what we see is. Jesus, after he leaves Samaria, he comes back into the uh, Cana of Galilee. He comes into the Galilean region where he is met by a desperate father who comes to him because his son is sick. His son is dying, and he's desperate. And I think John includes the story not just so that we might know that Jesus is the Christ. We know that that's his purpose for writing the book that he is the son of God. But I think he also includes this story so that we might know what authentic faith looks like. Now, as we've noted already, not everyone who claims to have faith has real faith or true faith or genuine faith. Uh, many people believed in Jesus in a very um, superficial or shallow way. Many saw his miracles, saw him cleanse the temple, um, but, but they didn't have true faith. They were impressed by Jesus, but they were not changed by Jesus. They were wowed by Jesus, but they weren't won by Jesus. And you might say that theirs was a, a curious faith, not a saving faith. And when, when you think about, you know, our faith, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of faith do we possess? Is it a curious faith or is it a saving faith? Um, am I interested in what Jesus can do for me or am I interested in Jesus? Their faith won't, went only so far as w- what they could see. But, but faith that you can see is not really faith, is it? I mean, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, he says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction or evidence of things not seen. So true faith is the belief that uh, something that we hope for is real even though we can't quantify it. It's the belief that something is uh, real even though we can't see it and don't fully understand how it can be. Now, some people might say, well, Paul, that just sounds like wishful thinking. Well, it's not, and, and here's why. Biblical faith, genuine faith, authentic faith is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in who he is, what he has said, and what he has done. Meaning that biblical faith then is not blind faith. There are reasons why I believe what I believe. My faith is built on a real Savior who went to a real cross and really died and rose from the dead. If, if my faith is not, does not correspond to reality, then it's not a faith worth having. You know, I, I could sit here, as many people do, and say there are many ways to God. I believe there are many ways to God. I don't believe that there is a, a hell. I believe everybody's going to go to heaven. But if my belief does not correspond to reality, I'm in deep trouble. You know, I can believe whatever I want, but if it doesn't have something that corresponds to reality, that it's not based on truth then it's not really a belief worth having. Authentic faith is belief in and total dependence on Jesus Christ. It's an informed faith. It's a faith that has content to it. It's not a faith that's built on emotion or emotionalism. It's, it's not a, a mystical something. It's something that's rooted in the historicity of, of Christ actually coming to earth, living a perfect life, and dying for our sins. Before we begin, let's pray, and then we'll start. Lord God, I do thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word to us, and I pray again, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher this morning as we look to this passage of Scripture. Encourage our hearts. Convict us, Lord, uh, where necessary. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 4. We're going to be picking up in verse 43. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. John writes, after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The two days that are mentioned there in verse 43 are the two days that Jesus spent in Samaria. If you remember, the Samaritans came to him and uh, they asked him to stay with them, to remain with them. And he did so for two days. And again, I, just, I would have loved to have been there to hear what Jesus would have said to them. And how they would have just been hanging on every word. But now the time had come to leave Samaria to come back into Galilee. In verse 44, uh, the English Standard Version translates a Greek word there, um, Petrus, as hometown. So if you have the ESV, you can see it. It says hometown. Well, a lot of other translations actually translate the word country. Country. Um, and there's, there's a good reason why. The synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke, use this proverb that Jesus quoted, that Jesus said, in reference to Nazareth. So if you look in those gospels, you'll see that uh, it was a quotation that Jesus was applying um, to his own hometown. But now Jesus is going back into Galilee... And it really doesn't make much sense to think that he's referring to Nazareth here because Nazareth was in Galilee. So I think what Jesus is is referring to or what John's referring to here is actually um, the region of Judah in Jerusalem, uh, the home of the Jews. And the reason for that is because Jerusalem was known as the home of the prophets. And if you remember all the way back to chapter 1, We learned that Jesus came unto his own, but his own received him not. He was rejected by them. And even in chapter 2, when we see him in the temple, that the the Pharisees wanted, you know, they were demanding, you know, what sign will you give us? What authority do you have to do these things? And so I think uh, John is referring to Judah here as he heads back into Galilee. He was rejected by the Jews, he was believed on by the Samaritans, and now he is being welcomed by the Galileans. Let's look at verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus returns now to Cana, where he turned the water into wine. And while he was there, a government official from Capernaum comes with an urgent request. And the request is very simple, come and heal my son. My son is dying, and I need you. And when you read that, you know, the the man, when he heard that that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down. It's not like like the man went next door, you know, knocked on the door and said, Hey, Jesus, I could really use your help. It wasn't even as if he went down the street or across town. Um, You have to understand where uh, Capernaum was okay, if we can bring up the map you 'll notice that Cana, if we bring up the map, oh map, there you go okay, so there 's Cana over here, and there 's Capernaum over here at the north of the Sea of Galilee, roughly twenty miles separated the two towns, and so you start to have a context now for what 's actually happening. the man heard that Jesus uh, was in Cana. And, I, and I'm thinking, well, how did he even know he was in Galilee? Well, the scripture said that we're, there were many Galileans who were at the feast in Jerusalem. They had returned to Galilee. So undoubtedly, some went to Capernaum, where they then started to talk and word traveled fast. And he heard about Jesus. But then somehow he also heard that he was in Cana. Because the people in Jerusalem would not have known that he was in Cana. For that matter, they didn't know he went into Samaria. So somehow word traveled from Cana to Capernaum to say that Jesus was now there. Now, when he heard that Jesus was in Cana, Um, he heard and hoped for several things. Um, First of all, he, he heard that Jesus was there and somehow linked Jesus to the healing of his son. So in other words, something was said to him about his time in Jerusalem that led him to think that Jesus could help, that Jesus could potentially heal his son. So he left Capernaum, with great hope. And let me tell you some of the things that, I, that he hoped for. The, the first thing is he hoped that after taking a 20-mile trip, most likely on foot, he hoped that he would find Jesus because there's no guarantee that he would. Now, Jesus was growing in popularity. You know, a few weeks ago, I took my wife to see the Darius Rucker concert. I think I may have mentioned that to some of you uh, it was the anniversary of our first date. So we kind of celebrate our, our uh, Valentine's Day is on the 19th of February. And so I tried really hard to get a meet and greet with Darius Rucker. Uh, I contacted them. Nobody would c- call me back or anything. So we did it. We got the cheap seats. We got a good show. But she never got a chance to meet Darius Rucker. Well, it's not surprising. You know, when you're popular, when you're famous, um, it's, it's hard to, to earn uh, uh, an opportunity to be able to do a meet and greet. Well, I think the same was true here. This, this man left Capernaum with the uncertainty that he would even find Jesus. And if he did find Jesus, he then hoped that Jesus would receive him, that he'd be able to make it through the crowd, pass security, get to Jesus, to even present his request before him. And then he had the hope that Jesus would actually entertain the request, that he would come back with him to Capernaum. And then he had the hope that if Jesus came back, that he could actually heal his son. So we see right from the very beginning that this man exercises great faith, authentic faith just in the fact that he left. And the, the other thing is, you know he loved his son. and You could, you could feel the desperation here. And, and this trip would not only be hard physically, it'd be hard mentally, it'd be hard emotionally. Imagine you're there, you see your son who's sick, who's on the verge of death, and you're thinking about taking a trip. I think that would be hard. Even with good motives, even, even with the belief that if I could find Jesus and if we could get back in time, he could heal my son. Just to leave him, to leave his side at that moment must have been difficult. But he chose to do that, believing, hoping that Jesus could heal his son. And I think another reason why this might have been hard is is there's probably no doubt that there were at least some people, maybe even members of his own family, who thought that this was a fool's quest. That if ever you should stay put, it's now. Not go run off after some new rabbi, some some new fly-by-night preacher, teacher that you've heard about from somebody else. You don't know anything about that guy. You don't know if he can help. You don't know if he's the real deal or not. But in going, he demonstrates great faith. Though his faith is not fully developed yet, it reveals that authentic faith is a belief in and a dependence on Jesus. Let's look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus answered him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, verse 48 seems to come out of nowhere. Um, On the surface, it appears in the ESV that Jesus is rebuking the man, that he's scolding him, but he's not. Some of you have different translations, and in your translation, you're going to read the word people. That word is not in the original Greek, but it's inserted there Because the word you in both cases, both times that it's used in the verse, that you is plural. So Jesus is speaking to the crowd that is around them both. He's rebuking the people. He's not scolding the man. Uh, I like how the New American Standard translates this verse. He says, so Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders you simply will not believe. Jesus knows that many of the people that were there were the very people that were in Jerusalem that saw him perform miracles, saw him cleanse the temple. And yet what they, they did is they, they then traveled home and now they're hoping to see another miracle. They're hoping to see Jesus wow them yet once again. But Jesus knows what's in their hearts. Remember what he said, uh, in, or what John said in, uh, back in chapter 2, uh, the New Century Version in verses 23 and 24 that chapter said, when Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, many people believed in him because they saw the miracles that he did. But Jesus did not believe in them. Because he knew them all. He knew what was in their hearts. And folks, when we were in that chapter, I said it then, I'll say it again. We can deceive other people. We can deceive our spouses, our parents, our kids, our friends, that we have a vibrant relationship with Christ. We can even deceive ourselves. But we cannot deceive God. God knows our hearts. He knows whether our faith is shallow and superficial. He knows whether we have authentic, genuine, saving faith or not. Unlike the Jews, the Samaritans demonstrated genuine faith. They didn't come to Jesus to see his show, they came for salvation. Jesus did no miracle there, but they believed. They believed at first because of the woman's testimony, but then were told that they believed because they heard Jesus' words. They heard him speak himself. They listened to Jesus. They placed their faith in Jesus, and they remained with Jesus. And, And this remaining is an important aspect to authentic faith, genuine faith. Biblical faith does not fade away. It doesn't cease. It doesn't end. It doesn't, it doesn't die when the feelings are gone. Too many people base their faith on how they feel, and our feelings are like this. Our experience, we can have mountaintop experiences, and then we can be in the depths of despair. But that's not faith. As I said before, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. We walk by faith, not by sight. That meaning, we don't walk according to how we feel. We choose to believe what God's word says over and against and above how we feel at any given moment. I gotta tell you, sometimes I don't feel saved. (laughs) I don't feel holy all the time. But I know what God's word says. I know that I am saved because I know God's word is true. And I know that I am called a saint, which is the Greek word hagios, which means a holy one. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what God's word says. That's what I choose to believe. I don't choose to believe how I feel. Our faith is built on an informed understanding of who Jesus is, what he said, and what he has done. And Jesus can't really help us Unless we believe the truth about him and the truth about ourselves. And the truth about ourselves is quite simple. We are rebels. We are sinners. We have turned away from God. We were born with a sinful nature. And in time, we sin because we're sinners. And we are separated from God and would be separated from God for all eternity If God had not intervened, if he had not sent us a savior in Jesus Christ who came to earth and died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and be restored into right relationship with him. We have to believe rightly about Jesus. He wasn't just a good moral teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the son of God, God in the flesh, the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We've got to believe that. Otherwise, the, Christ, the, the cross is meaningless. Back to our story. The official begs Jesus to return with him before his child dies. He says in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. Again, we should commend this man for his faith, but he makes two miscalculations here. First, he thinks that Jesus has to be physically present with his son in order to heal him. Do you see that? Come down before my child dies. You have to come with me, and, and then and only then, Jesus, uh, can you heal him? The second miscalculation is is that not only that Jesus has to come, Jesus has to hurry. Jesus, you, you have to hurry before we, we've got to get there before my son dies. Why? What's he thinking? Because if my son dies, then it's all over. It's all she wrote. There's nothing any more that you can do for him. He will, he will be dead. He was wrong on both counts. He does not yet fully comprehend who he's talking with. This is the God of the universe, who spoke the world into existence. He just uttered a word and the universe came to be. He is God in human flesh. All he has to do now is say the word and his son would be healed. He doesn't need to be physically present to perform this miracle. Jesus is not limited by time and space. He created time and space. You see what's what's happening here? Jesus then says to him, Go, your son will live. And in saying this, Jesus is is stretching his faith. You know, he came with great faith. But Jesus is now stretching it further. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Hey, I recognize your faith. I understand you believe that if I go with you, I can heal your son. And you're right, I can. But do you have enough faith to believe that I can speak a word right here, right now, and he will be healed? And Look at the response. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Wow. Now that's genuine faith. That's the real deal. This man put his faith in Jesus and trusted his word completely. He put the life of his son in Jesus' words. In Jesus himself. He chose to believe what Jesus said. He He didn't see the miracle happen. He could, but he took Jesus at his word. And like I said earlier, authentic faith is the belief in and total dependence on Jesus Christ. This father trusted Jesus with his son's life. What about you? Have you trusted Jesus with your life? Are you trusting Jesus? with the lives of family members, your husband, your wife, your kids? What what about your marriage? Are Are you trusting God for your marriage, your finances, your future? Have you truly entrusted those you love to Jesus? Or are you trying to Cope or control the situation or manipulate things to achieve a certain outcome. Sometimes life is hard, life is difficult, relationships are messy, and and we're not in control. And all we can do is trust in Christ. And the Father, Father. This father trusted Jesus with the life of his son. Do you trust your heavenly father with the lives of your kids? Those of you that have kids. I got three of them. And, and, and frankly, sometimes, um, well, all the time, I feel I'm not in control. I'd like to be. <laughs> I'd like to make the decisions for them sometimes because I feel like I can make them better than they do. You know, but I I want the best for them, but I realize I have to I have to trust God. I have to trust that God God loves them more than I love them. And he has a way of getting their attention that that I don't. And I'm I'm praying that that will happen. I need to be able to Trust him for their future. I need to be able to trust him for their decisions and their choices and their future marriages and family and and all of that. And it's scary as a parent because I'm not in control of that. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, but I know that we can all relate to this man in our story because we all have needs. We all have concerns that we need to take to Jesus the only question is, is, will we trust him? Will we believe that Jesus can meet all of our needs? So I love that verse that says that we're to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. Boy, if, if we believe that, really believe that, we would, we would be so quick to come to Jesus. We need to trust him for our own salvation. We need to trust him for the salvation of our family members and friends and for whatever other needs that we may have. I want you to notice that the scripture here says that the man believed and went on his way. Now that last part, that he went on his way, really stood out to me um, because I know myself all too well. You know, sometimes you, you, you hear God, you read a passage of Scripture, and you, you believe it, but then there's, there's this doubt that's, that's there. And, and sometimes it's like, I, you know, I, I'm, God, I, I don't know, are you sure? Jesus, I heard what you said. You know, did you mean it? You know, and the fact that the man went away really impressed me because he, he didn't stick around and try to get Jesus to pinky promise. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't, you know, try to, you know, Jesus, can, can you give me another sign? Right? I mean, sometimes we do that, right? We, we, God has spoken clearly, we know, but we want another sign. We, you know, and then after we get that one, we're still not sure, so we want an, another one. He doesn't do that. He went away. He simply took Jesus at his word, and, and oh, that we would have faith like that, that we would not waver or doubt his word. Now, no doubt this father yearned to see his son. I'm not exactly sure when this encounter with, with Jesus happened. We, we know um, uh, from the verses that follow um, a certain time frame, but we don't know if it's Hebrew time, we don't know if it's Roman time. So why don't we just read uh, verse 51 It says, as he was going down, his servants met him, so they came from Capernaum, and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So right there, it kind of suggests that after having the conversation with Jesus, that the man didn't leave right away to go home. As much as he wanted to see his son, it was probably, he would probably find himself traveling at night, which would have been dangerous. So they said yesterday, at the seventh hour, which would have been 1 p.m. if you used Hebrew time, or 7 p.m. with Roman time, the very hour that Jesus said, your son will live. And then in verse 53, we're told the man believed. Well, wait a minute. He believed earlier. I mean, he, he believed when he was in Capernaum, but then he had a conversation with Jesus and he he believed Jesus' word and, and he went away. Why, why does John tell us that the man believed? Well, I think it's the same thing that happened in Samaria. You know, the people believed as a result of the woman's testimony. But then they believed again when they heard Jesus speak. You see, I think what John is getting at is that faith is not a static thing. It's not a one and done proposition. It's not like you come to a point in your life where one day you exercise faith and then you never exercise faith again. Faith is living. It's vibrant. It's, it's something that grows and deepens and, and strengthens all those who genuinely believe will continue to believe. Perhaps that's the point here. In both these stories, we see faith growing and maturing. The, the official had faith to leave Capernaum and find Jesus. Then he had faith when he believed in Jesus' words, and again when he got word that his son was healed. True faith grows. And as we trust Jesus more and more, we will find that our faith deepens. When we see the faithfulness of God in our lives, our faith is strengthened. Now, our story began with a man who was desperate for physical healing for his son, and it ends with a man who's desperate for spiritual healing for his family. You see, the story here doesn't end with the son's healing. It ends with his. In verse 54, it says, He himself believed and all his household So this man who had come to Jesus for physical healing for his son found spiritual healing for himself. Then he went back home and he talked to his wife and he talked to his kids and he talked to his servants and he told them all that had happened. Like the woman at the well, he gave testimony. He simply told them all that Jesus had said, all that Jesus had done. And the fact that his son was alive and well only served to confirm his faith. Only served to confirm that Jesus was the Christ. And and in so doing, his entire household came to faith in Christ. So how desperate are you to know Jesus? How desperate are you for your family members? To know Jesus. We should never underestimate the power of Jesus to heal and to save. And we should never underestimate the power of our personal testimony and talking with others. We see this time and time again in Scripture. People believe as a result of other people telling them what Jesus has done for them. Remember one thing though, we don't do the saving, right? Only, only, only Jesus is the saving one Just like the song that we sang, our job is simply to point other people to Jesus and then tell them what the scripture says, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, let's trust him. Let's have authentic faith. Let's believe in and have a growing dependency on Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. And for your word to us. And Lord, um, just how encouraging it is um, to see how you worked in the lives of, of uh, people far from you. And then Lord, how you use them to further your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would use us. Pray that you would increase our faith as we are immersed in your word. As we learn more about you and ourselves. And Lord, that we would dare to trust you. Uh, for what may seem to be impossible to us. And Lord, we just love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.